Thank you, Ken. Our uh, headset had a nervous breakdown. So we've sent it to the psychiatrist and it's getting, it's getting better. We hope that it will be uh, back in operation next week. But yes, pray for Rocky. He'll be preaching in my sermon delivery class on Tuesday. Uh, by the way, if you don't have anything to do Tuesday afternoon at 1, from 1 to 2.15, come and uh, you'll get to hear Rocky preach at the Criswell College, and that will make him real nervous. <laughs> Last week, we had a girl. We have two girls in the class, and so uh, they have to, it's, for them, it's like a public speaking class, and uh, they had to speak as well. And this one girl got up and she said, now I know some of you don't like girls speaking uh, to men, so she... Uh, she put a mask up over her face, and it was a picture of me. So she held that up for a couple minutes, and uh, people finally said, we'd rather hear you speak. That was pretty funny. Uh, if you are interested in going to the country club next week, uh, Glenn and Doris Johnson are here today, and they're right here at this table. And if you'd like to go, you can see them, or you can just see me, and I'll let them know as well. Well, let's take our Bibles and open to Luke chapter 6, Luke chapter 6, and we're tracing the life and ministry of Jesus through the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to pick up at verse 12. Last week, we saw that Jesus healed on the Sabbath, and that caused a big controversy. So let's just uh, pick up at Luke chapter 6 and verse 12, and it says, it came to pass in those days, in what days? In the early days of his ministry, when uh, his popularity was growing, as well as when the hostility was growing, two things are happening to Jesus. He's becoming popular with the peasants, and he's becoming uh, unpopular with the Pharisees. So that's the days. It came to pass in those days that he went out to a mountain to pray. So there's the where and the what. He goes to a mountain to pray, and he continued all night long in prayer to God. So that's the length of the prayer, how long he prayed all night long. Now we know from other passages in Luke that this is a practice of Jesus. Whenever he has to do something very important, he gets away and he prays. He doesn't pray for 15 minutes or an hour. He'll pray all night long. So that means he's awake the day before, he's awake all night long, he's awake the day after. So he's up for a long, long time. And it says in verse 13, and when it was day, that's the next morning, he called his disciples to himself. Now the disciples mean just his followers. People who have left everything to follow him, they're probably in full-time ministry. You know, a couple weeks ago, we talked about how he sent out 70 people. And they didn't have vacations in those days. So these are people who left everything to follow him. So we don't know how many there are, but there are a lot. So verse 13 says, when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. And from them, he chose 12, whom he also named Apostles. Now this gives us some insight into what Jesus had been praying for all night. Jesus' ministry is expanding to such a degree that he needs authorized representatives that can go out with him and help him speak on behalf of God and do the deeds of God. And so each 
All night long, he's been praying about this, and in his mind, he goes over all of his followers. And he's saying, Father, is this one you want me to choose to be a special leader? Uh, we're going to develop leadership in the church, and there are going to be some choices made. Hopefully those choices will be, will be made based on prayer. And so Jesus is praying, and he's saying, Lord, who do you want the leaders to be? And he chose 12 from amongst the multitude, and he called them apostles, which... Uh, simply means envoys or representatives, those who speak with authority on behalf of someone else. So they are divinely sanctioned, and they're divinely separated from the rest. So they're going to have a special status. It's going to be a status uh, where they are given authority to speak on behalf of Jesus, uh, but they're going to operate in a spirit of humility. So it's not a separation that is a segregation. It's a uh, just a special place of service as far as humility is concerned. And these people will become the foundation of Jesus, uh, of a new humanity. Just as Israel was God's people in the Old Testament, Jesus is forming a new nation, which Peter calls a holy nation, the church. And these 12 men will be the foundation for the church. The church is built on the foundation of the apostles. And so this is what's happening. He's building a new humanity, and he chooses 12. Just as Jacob in the Old Testament, whose name was changed to Israel, had 12 sons, and each was the head of a tribe. They were the leaders of Israel. These 12 will be the leaders of the church, this new nation that God is creating, a new kingdom that God's created, a kingdom that's different than the other kingdoms of the world. Just as Israel was different than the other kingdoms of the world. It was different than Babylon. It was different than Assyria. It was different than Persia. It was different than Greece. Because they recognized the one true and living God and served him. And so now God is choosing out another group of people to represent him to all the nations of the world. And he chooses 12 leaders upon which that foundation will be built. Does that make sense? Okay, now look at the names. So as he prayed, he uh, said, Lord, how about this guy named Simon? And God said, okay, I think Simon will do. So notice, Simon, whom he also called Peter. Jesus gave Simon the name Peter, which means rock. Now, I think that was a little bit of irony. Because Peter is anything but a rock. He's a vacillator in many ways. He says uh, one minute he's going to cut somebody's ear off and bring in the kingdom through violence, and the next moment he is hiding from a little maiden girl. She said, aren't you the one of his followers? And he said, oh, who are you talking to? Me? No, I have never met this guy. He's, not, he's anything but rock solid. So I think that Jesus is going to change him into a rock, and he will become rock solid, but uh, he's really not at first. But he does have a big, big mouth. And he chose this guy who's very vocal. He's an extrovert. Okay? Amen. And Andrew, his brother. Every time Andrew is mentioned, he's always associated with Peter. He always lives within the shadow of Peter. He's not part of the inner circle. Remember, Jesus' inner circle was Peter, James, and John. So although Andrew's mentioned second, he's only mentioned second because Peter's mentioned first. And he will live in his, his entire life in the shadow of Peter. 
And then we have James and John, and we know they are the sons of Zebedee. Uh, another group of wild guys, very much like Peter, tough characters, known as the sons of thunder. They said, we'll bring the kingdom in, you just watch us. And they are also in the fishing business with Peter and Andrew. So here you have four guys who knew each other and are close friends, and Jesus chooses them to be his special envoys. Now that's the first set of four. Then you come to, next, Philip and Bartholomew, who in the other Gospels is known as Nathaniel. And then Matthew, that's the tax collector, earlier called Levi, and Thomas, also called Didymus, the twin. So he had a twin brother, and one of these could have been his twin brother. We don't know. If one of these people was Thomas's twin brother, then you would have had three sets of brothers. Peter and Andrew, James and John, and Thomas, and possibly Matthew right there. So that's the next set of four. And then finally you have James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot. He was probably a nationalist who wanted to overthrow the Roman Empire through force. There actually became a zealot movement around 66 AD, and these are the ones who actually uh, led a war against the nation of Rome, and uh, Rome literally wiped out the zealots, destroyed the temple, you're familiar with that story, and uh, Tom, uh, Simon would have been a forerunner of that movement. He was, he was zealous for the nation of Israel. And then verse 16, James, the son of Judas, the son of James, the other scripture says Judas, not Iscariot. You're familiar with that statement. This is the last group. And Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. A traitor to his, the king and a traitor to God's kingdom. Every time Judas is mentioned, he's called a traitor. Or the man who betrayed Jesus. That's how he's known. There's always a descriptive phrase connected with his name. That's not a good thing. Uh, and yet Jesus chooses him. So throughout the night, while Jesus is praying, he's going down the list of all his, of his disciples, and out of all of them, he chooses these twelve. Now he comes down from the mountain in verse 17. It says he came down with them, that would be the twelve. I want you to notice there are three groups here mentioned in verse 17. He came down with the twelve, and he stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples. That's the wider group of the disciples. That's the second group. And a great multitude of the people. That's the third group. Notice not just a multitude. What kind of a multitude? A great multitude. Uh, in the Greek, there's a Greek word for that. Humongous. You ever hear that word? Yeah, I mean, this, is a, this shows you the popularity of Jesus and the necessity for choosing 12 leaders to help him out, his right-hand men, if you will. Now, notice where they're from. It's very interesting. They're from all of Judea, which means all of Palestine. That's how it's used in this context. Number two, and from the capital city from Jerusalem. 
And number three, from the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon. That's the Mediterranean Sea area. Uh, this area of Sidon is mentioned earlier in Luke's Gospel. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but it's in 426 where he talks about how the prophet Elisha went and dealt with, one of the prophets went and dealt with a woman of Sidon. So Sidon has already been mentioned in Luke's Gospel and it's mentioned again. It's a Gentile area. So evidently some Gentiles actually came out to hear this prophet and see what he uh, had to say. He, they may have been Gentile fear, uh, God-fearers or proselytes who went to synagogue, but they're still Gentiles. And so we see this entire multitude comes together. Now, why did they come to Jesus? Look what it says. Number one, to hear him. They're seeking spiritual help. They want to hear a word from God. That's what a prophet does. He speaks on behalf of God. Number one, to hear him. And number two, to be healed of their diseases. Not only do they want spiritual help, they want physical help. There are a lot of people with infirmities. And not only that, they want emotional help. Spiritual help to hear him. Physical help to be healed by him of their diseases. And then third, look what it says in verse 18. They seek emotional help. As well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits. So here they come seeking psychological help. And notice that the torment is connected with some sort of demonic activity. And it says, and they were healed. Uh, that's very important that you read those statements that they're healed. Every time that we've seen Jesus healing people, he's always successful. And remember, Luke's a medical doctor. This fascinates Luke. He's treated patients left and right, and they're not all healed. But Jesus has the power of God. Because at his baptism, the Holy Spirit came upon him in a special way and has anointed him to preach the gospel and heal the sick. And these are the evidences or the marks that the kingdom is breaking in, even now. And so Luke wants to, uh, wants to make sure his audience sees this. They were healed. And uh, notice that Luke... When he talks about healing, he talks about not only were they healed physically, they were healed psychologically. Even people who were tormented were healed. They stopped being tormented. Yeah, torment is a terrible thing. The Old Testament says fear brings torment. Fear brings a snare. You know what a snare is? It's like a, a trap, a bear trap, an animal trap. Animal puts its foot in that trap and it snaps. And suddenly that animal is just terrorized. It's paralyzed. It goes into shock. And so what we have here is there are people that are being terrorized by their torments. And Satan's behind this. And Luke puts all that under healing. Physical healing and psychological healing. Because for Luke, salvation is the whole package. It's not just your soul gets saved. It's your body gets healed. Now, everybody's body is not healed at this time. 
because the kingdom isn't here in its fullness. But some people are healed. Because God reaches down and he shows mercy upon some people. And we get a glimpse into what that future kingdom is going to be like even now. So that's what's happening here. Okay? So while Jesus is being rejected by the Pharisees, he's gaining wide acceptance among the peasants. Now look at verse 19. Look what it says. And the whole multitude, that's a very interesting statement, one that's familiar to us, the whole multitude sought to touch him. We've seen that before, the importance of touch. Usually Jesus is touching people, but in this case they seek to touch him. Why? Here's the reason. For power went out from him, and he healed them all. What power? The power of God's Spirit went out. And when God touches you, guess what happens? You're healed. <laughs> That's the amazing thing. That's why the woman who was sick with the issue of blood said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. And there was a crowd just gathered all around him that day. But when she touched him, for that purpose, he said, the Bible says, he felt virtue leaving his body. Something left. The power of God went out of his body, and this woman's healed. And so here we see Jesus empowered for his divine ministry, and he's indeed carrying it out. So they're healed all healed. Now, they didn't only come to be healed. Remember what it says? It says they came to hear. Back in verse 17, they came to hear and be healed. So now we're going to find out what he spoke on. We're going to go back and we're going to, we're going to go to verse 20 rather, and we're going to listen to the message that Jesus preached to these people. So look what it says in verse 20. Then he lifted up his eyes toward his disciples, and he spoke. Now, we now begin what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. In Luke's Gospel, it's known as the Sermon on the Plains. And the reason is, is because he comes down, to the, down the mountain, and you, is that what it says? And he stood, verse 17, and he stood on a level place. So in Luke's gospel, it's called the Sermon on the Plain. In Matthew's gospel, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I'm convinced that Jesus preached this basic message many, many times. He didn't just preach it once. Because why would he preach it once? It'd be like saying, well, you already preached the gospel once. Yeah, but now I'm going to another town. So I need to preach it there, and then I'm going to go over this location, I need to preach it there. And so Jesus preaches this message on several occasions. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to show you how this sermon is structured. So I'm going to do an overview for you first, before we get into the details. And once you see the structure, uh, the meaning of the sermon will become very clear, okay? First of all, I want you to notice the pronouncements, okay? In verse 20, blessed, do you see that? Verse 21, blessed. Again, in verse 21, blessed. Verse 22, blessed. So the first pronouncement that he makes is blessed. The second pronouncement he makes, verse 24, whoa. Verse 25, Whoa. Verse 25. Whoa. 
Verse 26. Woe. Four blessings, four woes. And they are laid out like that, so you will see that there is, there are, there's a positive message and there's a negative message. There's a message of blessing and there's a message of judgment or warning. Okay, does that make sense to you? Look at the audience. Look at the audience. Verse 20. Blessed are you. Do you see that? 21. You. 22. You. Look at 24. Woe to you. Woe to you. Woe to you. Woe to you. Blessing to you. So, the audience is you. Okay? So that means the audience consists of the people, the multitudes that have come to hear him. He speaks to them. He doesn't say, blessed are you, and woe to the Pharisees. So that audience is made up of all kinds of people. And he's going to say blessings to you, and if it fits for you, it's a blessing. And then he's going to say woe to you, and if it fits you, guess what? To you, it's a woe. So he's got a woe, and he's got a blessing. And there are both kinds of people in that crowd. And notice again, he's going to divide the crowd between the blessed and the woed. That's such a word. <laughs> Jesus comes to bring a sword. Remember, that's what, he, what the angel said to Mary. That he's going to divide people. He's going to cause, bring a sword and he's going to divide. And that's what we see here. Okay? Now, I want you to notice next the reason for the blessings. Look. Blessed are you, and then look, for, here's the, because, here's why you're blessed, look at 21, blessed are you, for, because, and everyone has, look, blessed are you and men hate you, look at the end of that verse, for, so you see all the fours there, now look down at the woes in verse 24, 25, and 26, woe to you, look at this, for, 25, woe to you, for, do you see that? Woe to you, four. 26, woe to you, four. So the fours mean because. You're blessed because of a certain thing. You're judged because of a certain thing. There's reasons for the blessings and there are reasons for the judgment. So I wanted to show you how that's laid out. Also, I want you to notice that prophets are mentioned. Look at the end of the blessing section, verse 23. Look at the last word there. Prophets. Do you see that? Now look at the ending of the woe section, verse 26. Look at the last word there. Prophets. You see that? So we're going to see how they relate to each other. Just trying to lay out the structure here. Okay. Now let's look at the instruction. Okay. The instruction. The instructions come. Now these, these are pronouncements. The blessings and the woes are pronouncements. The instructions come from verses 27 through 35. The instructions. Pronouncements, 20 through 26. The instructions, verses 27 through 35. Each instruction begins with the word, but. Now watch. Instruction number one, verse 27. But. You see that? I say to you. Instruction number two, verse 32. But, that's how you can define where the little sections are here. Look, instruction number three, verse 35. But, now, each one of these instructions deals with credit or loss. Credit or loss. Let me show you that. 
Look at verse, for example, uh, look at verse, uh, beginning in verse 32, for example. But if you love those who love you, what credit? You see that? What credit? Look at verse 33. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit? See, there's the word credit again. Look at verse 34. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit? He's going to give you the logic of his argument, the logic of his instructions. And then in verse 35 he says, But if you love your enemies and do good, you will get a reward. So if you do these other things, what credit's that? Anybody can do that. But if you do this, reward. So once you can see that, it'll make a lot of sense. This sermon will make a lot of sense. Then you have the bottom line, verse 36. That's as far as we're going to go today. Verse 36, here's the bottom line. Therefore, in light of everything I've said from 20 to 35, therefore, here's my bottom line message to you, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Now, now that we've laid out the structure, and I think you've seen it, let's get into the message. The Sermon on the Plain. Okay? First of all, let's look at the blessings. We'll start at verse 20. Verse 20. Blessed are you poor. First, the poor are blessed. Now, why is that so important? Because back in chapter 4 and verse 18, which was the most important verse so far in Luke's gospel, he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he's anointed me to preach the good news to the what? Poor. poor. <coughs> the poor have good news spoken. I've got some good news for you if you're poor. You're blessed. So I don't feel blessed. Well, you're blessed. Why are you blessed? For, look in verse 20, for yours is the kingdom of God. Yours is the kingdom of God. You might be poor now, but in the end, everything that's part and parcel of the kingdom will be yours. All that God has will be yours. You inherit it all. You won't be poor forever. This state of poorness is only temporary. Remember who these people are. The poor are the marginalized and the peasants. And why are they poor? Because Rome has overthrown their government and they've been basically enslaved. That's why they're poor. Many of them had land that was taken away from them, and many of them have been allowed to work the land for the new owner at a minimal wage. And then the government is taxing those sharecroppers excessively to the point that they can hardly survive. The amazing thing about this is they would 
work the land that they used to own, but now it's owned by someone else. They would uh, sell the, the, the owner would sell the crops to a store. The sharecroppers who used to own the land would have to go to the store and buy their own fruit back and then pay taxes on their income. That's why they were poor. They're oppressed. They're occupation troops in their town. Look at the next one, verse 21. Blessed are you who hunger now. For you will be filled. You might be hungry now, but one day there's going to be a great messianic banquet where the wine's going to overflow and the food's going to be all you want. And at that point, you'll be satisfied. So you need to get your eyes off the present. Okay, look at verse, into verse 21. Blessed are you who weep now. People who mourn. Life hasn't treated you well. Well, why are we blessed? Even right now we're blessed. Mourners right now are blessed. We had a family went through a tragedy in our church this week. They're mourning, they're weeping, but you know something? They're blessed. Because one day they're going to laugh. When's that going to happen? In the resurrection. We get the last laugh. The last enemy that shall be conquered is death. Then we'll be rejoicing. See, so what looks like defeat now, what looks like hopelessness now, is not. And if you allow your circumstances to get you down, you'll always be living under the weight. But if you can realize in reality you're blessed, it just doesn't appear that you're blessed. You see, God has an account. And he keeps putting stuff in your account. And he has a plan with your name on it. It's an estate plan. And one day, everything will be reversed. Look at verse 22. Blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you. You're not part of their class, their social class. And they revile you, and they cast out your name as evil. They might even put you out of the synagogue and say, we're not going to have that person here. <coughs> and they besmirch your name. Look at this. For the Son of Man's sake. That's the only reason you're being persecuted, because you follow Jesus. You lose a job, whatever the situation is. People don't like you because you stand up for Christ. And as a result, there's persecution. Look at verse 23. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. When that happens to you, he says, if it happens to you, when it happens to you, walk out of that building and say, praise the Lord, hallelujah. Amen. For indeed, your reward is great in heaven. God already has it reserved. For in like manner, watch this. Here's the prophet's statement. Don't think it's so unusual that this is happening to you. Because in like manner, their fathers, those revilers' fathers, their forefathers, did the same thing to the prophets. And let me tell you something. If they did it to the prophets who were important people, they'll do it to you. So what Jesus is doing here, he's describing reality as it is. 
People are poor, they're hungry, they're being excluded, they're being persecuted. And then he explains, that's the reality, I guess, as most people think it is. <laughs> the reality is just the opposite. You're really blessed. And then he explains the reality of the future. There's hope. A new day is coming when the poor and the marginalized will be blessed by God. And the last will be first. And the first will be last. And that's what the scripture is all about. In fact, it's already starting because in verse, the first and fourth blessing, verse 20, blessed are the poor for yours. Look at this. Look at the present tense. Is the kingdom. Right now you're being blessed. Right now you're starting to experience some of the benefits of the kingdom. And then the fourth blessing. Look at uh, verse 23. For indeed your reward is, right now, is great in heaven. God already has it reserved for you. So there's persecution, there's expectation here. So what we have is this blessing section. Now we're going to move on to the woe section. Now I want you to notice that the woes match the blessings, only they're just opposites. So watch. Look at verse 24. But woe to you who are rich. See, back in 20, it's blessed are you who are what? Poor. So we have just the opposite. And we're going to have a reversal of the futures, future for each one of these groups. Woe to you who are rich, verse 24, for you have received your consolation. Guess what? That's all you're getting. So you got it? You better enjoy it now. And for you, the philosophy you only go around once, that's the truth. Because in the future, you're not going to have any more. Look at verse 25. Woe to you who are full. See, back in 21, blessed are you who are what? Hungry. See the opposites? Okay. Woe to you who are full. Look at the reversal that will happen in the future. For you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now. For you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. See, that's just the opposite of people reviling the others. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. Hey, that was a great message today. Oh, you did such a great job. Oh. Watch out when people speak well of you all the time. You should say, I'm blessed. No, you're woe. That's not a blessing. You start believing that, you're in trouble. <laughs> Don't believe everything everyone says about it. A lot of people say, well, things well to you for ulterior motives. It may be a curse rather than a blessing. And then you start believing it and pride wells up in your soul. That's the worst thing. So woe to you when all men speak well of you. Then look what he says in the verse 26. For so did their fathers to the false prophets. Oh, yeah, when the false prophet came along, they said, oh, we like that message. Oh, that was a great message from God. Oh, thank you for that message. Yeah, you see, people will always pat you on the back when it's a message they want to hear. I didn't say Osteen. I didn't say Osteen. 
Yeah, being spread over three. But what did they do to the real prophets who brought a message that they didn't want to hear? A message that they needed to hear from God. They were persecuted. So you're not blessed necessarily when everyone says, well of you. Debbie's getting the kick out of that. Now we come to the instructions. Okay, that was, they were the pronouncements. Now the instructions. But, okay, section number one. But, but I say to you, who hear, not everyone's going to take this message in and listen to it and obey it. But for those of you who have ears to hear, Jesus has something to say. Love your enemies. Now, I believe he's speaking to these poor people <coughs> and these marginalized people who are getting the raw end of the deal. I say to you who can hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. That's what you're to do. Yeah, but they're putting me down. You know what you need to do? Love them. And uh, we're oppressing you. Do good toward them. See, that's just the opposite of the way we, we do things, isn't it? Okay, look at verse 28. Bless those who curse you. It's not what I want to do. And pray to those who spitefully, look, use you. These people were being used and tossed aside. And guess what you're to do for them? The users, you're to pray for them. So, you say, Lord, I want you to bless those people. You know, allow them to see your will in all this. Look at verse 29. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And that happened all the time. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not hold your tunic either. Now we're going to get something very interesting. Give to everyone who asks of you. Give to everyone who asks of you. See how radical this is? Because you don't want to believe that, neither do I. We want to give, we want to have selective giving. This is why, this is why this, these are kingdom principles. And you, once you read the, this is sort of the mandate or the, the uh, Magna Carta or the, or the Constitution for God's kingdom. This is how his kingdom operates. And here's what you do. Anyone who asks you, give to them. Do you think that's what Jesus did? Or did he withhold, he withhold healing for some people? And <laughs> See, now watch, watch. Verse 30. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. This is radical. Him who steals from you, don't even ask for him back. Lynn just heard a, a story on the radio about a man in New York City, I believe it was. A young man came up with a knife, held him up, wanted his wallet. And he said, young man, he said, uh, you must have a real need in order to steal. 
And uh, he said, it was cold outside. He said, you know, you don't have a coat. Maybe you want a coat. And he gave him his coat. He said, you're probably hungry. If you need food, if you had, didn't have any money, you probably need food. He took him to eat. Didn't ask for any of it back. Well, the kid finally said, what's going on here? His whole life was changed. So it, it works if we work it, but we're not willing to work it. Now look at verse 31. And just as you want men to do to you, did I skip anything yet? I don't think so. Just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. So if you'd like them to treat you nice, even though they're not, well, you should treat them nice. So you do what you would like people to do to you. Now we come to the second but. Okay? Second but. But. See, that's what you're to do. Verses 27 through 30 are what you're to do. That's the kingdom principles. Now here's what we do. And these are instructions. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. So I take care of my family and I love those around me and I help anybody that's a friend of mine. Well, so what? Everybody does that. Even crooks do that. You don't get any credit for that. Look at verse 33. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same thing. I don't get any credit for just doing good to people who do good to you. And then look at verse 34. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back. Now we're going to step on some toes. Okay. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend the sinners to receive as much back. Anybody will lend somebody 20 bucks if they think they'll get it back next Friday. Even sinners do that. That's not how you're to lend. Somebody says, can I borrow $20? Listen, you lend without expecting it back. You might as well just make it a gift. Because what will happen if you expect it back and they don't give it back, you're not going to like those people. And that's just the opposite of the kingdom. These are principles for individuals and in how to live this kingdom life. Now look at verse 34. 35, brother. Now we come to the next section. But love your enemies. That's a hard thing to do. See, we read this, but we don't read it. You need to think who your worst enemy is and put that person's name there. Do good and lend. There it is again. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. Look, not only lend and hope you'll get it back on Friday, but if you don't, forget it. It's not that. It's not that you lend, hoping you're going to get it back, and if you don't, you forget it. Lend, not hoping to get it back. This is why the Sermon on the Mount are the most important words Jesus ever spoke. Amen. And they're probably the words that we least read and least understand. 
You see, what credit do you get if you do those other do it the other way? Here's the only time you get credit. Look at it. But love your enemies, do good, lend hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be equal with what you loaned. Great. And you will be the sons of the children of the Most High. Why is that? Because he is kind to the unthankful and the evil. I mean, I don't know. That's pretty strong language, isn't it? Now, look at verse 36. Here's our bottom line. Therefore, be merciful. This is what you're to do in all cases. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father is also merciful. Now, I want you to notice two things. Number one, what does the word mercy mean? That means that you give something to somebody that they don't deserve. And you don't give them what they do deserve. What they deserve is to be thrown in jail, maybe. Maybe you should, you know, they've given you, you loaned them the money, didn't give it back. Maybe you should go, you know, rip off $20 worth of some, some of their property or something. Maybe that's what they deserve. They deserve justice. But you don't give them justice. You withhold justice. Instead, you extend them mercy. Now watch. Why are you to do it? Therefore, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Merciful to who? To us. You say, but I don't like that person. They're my enemy. Well, you were God's enemy. You were God's enemy. <laughs> and what was he? Merciful to you. He should have struck you dead, but he was merciful to you. He said, you say, but uh, those people are different. I don't want to be around those. Well, guess what? You're different than God. He's God and you're not. But he extended you mercy. This is what it means to be merciful is the Father's merciful. Yeah, but they've wronged me. And you wronged God. And he was merciful to you. Didn't give you what you deserve. Yeah, but they've let me down. And you've let God down. And he's been merciful to you. Therefore, be merciful because your Father is merciful. And when you do that, then you are the children of God. You are exhibiting your Father's character. He didn't reject you. Even when you wronged him, even when you let him down, even though you didn't like him and you were his enemy, he didn't reject you. Instead, he accepted you. This is very radical teaching. Now, there's some people who don't like it, and what they want to do is they want to put all this in the kingdom, the future kingdom. In the millennium, millennial age, this is how we're to live. I think if that's the case, it would have been absolutely irrelevant to Jesus' audience. He wasn't wasting his breath. He was telling them how to live. So when we look at this passage, what we do is we get some lessons. 
First of all, we see the importance of prayer in making decisions. Any major decision involves prayer. Uh, we see that Jesus prays to receive power. Power to pronounce God's word and power to produce God's deeds. He heals people. And then we see the importance of living according to kingdom principles. And I think right in the middle of that text, we see an example of a person who didn't. The guy called Judas, the traitor. Because Jesus chose him to be one of the leaders. And he was in the crowd when he heard this. And he was a peasant. And he had absolutely nothing. He was poor. But as Jesus' ministry grew and people began to give donations, Judas became the treasurer and he held the purse. And he liked having that money in his hand. And instead of realizing that blessed are the poor, because in the future they will have all that God has, he wanted it now. And he began to love that money, and the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, to the point he sold out his master for 30 pieces of silver thinking that would make him happy and in the end it was a disaster he wanted his reward now and he got it sometimes a delayed reward is indeed a blessing and we're guaranteed the blessing if we live by the principles nearly an impossible task but hopefully today, starting with me, we'll make a commitment to put some of these principles into practice. Showing and demonstrating to others the character of God through our lives. For some people, the only God they will see, the only reflection or glimpse of God they will see, is his character in our lives as we touch their lives. May they see God for what he is, a God who's merciful to all. Amen? Amen. Father, I thank you for a very convicting passage of Scripture, for me especially. Help us, Lord, to realize that uh, whatever circumstance we are in, uh, you put us in that situation. If you have blessed us with riches, you blessed us with riches to help people. Not to hoard, but to help to be a reflection of Jesus Christ, to be a giver, to be a person who reaches out to the needy. And for those, Lord, who have nothing, may they not get discouraged and depressed and down. May they realize that they're blessed. This time that we have now is very short in comparison with the kingdom. And The hunger that uh, strikes many people's stomachs will one day be gone, and all this will be forgotten as we experience the blessings of the kingdom because of Jesus Christ our Lord. His name we pray. Amen. Amen.